John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 122 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a truly conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual, the number one pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. As is always the case, lots to get to today, including the big news this morning that uh, the Big Ten football conference has reversed itself and decided to play at least a majority of its schedule later on this year, starting in late October. This is a topic we've talked a lot about on this podcast because it could have dramatic political implications, especially since Donald Trump has been trying to forward that movement for the Big Ten to reverse itself and play. Whether or not he actually will get uh, credit for that is still a very open question. He's trying to take credit for it uh, via Twitter. And I'll talk a little bit later on in the uh, how is the election going segment of this podcast as to my thoughts on where, where that is all really going to go down. But I did want to give you a heads up that one that was one of the big news stories of the day. And I do think it will have political significance. How much, uh, as I said, we'll get to shortly in the last episode of the podcast. We talked a lot about the Bob Woodward book. Rage and specifically allegations there that were backed up by audio tapes that uh, Donald Trump had supposedly lied to the American public about how dangerous the COVID-19 virus was going to be, that he knew that it was far worse uh, than he was saying it was, and that the smoking gun on that were, were two different clips 
from interviews with Bob Woodward, one from February, one from March, where uh, Trump is talking very differently than he did publicly at the time. And he effectively acknowledges uh, that he underplayed it because he didn't want to panic people. You know, last week, my take on this was that this is overblown and a bit unfair my view now with a week to think about it and get more information is even more in that direction. This was this is largely bullshit. This was largely largely a media creation. And boy, did the media go bananas, especially CNN, which broke the story. They went completely bananas over this. And it's just so inherently absurd what they were doing, going back in time to cherry pick a situation that has evolved on almost a daily basis, almost a daily basis. We have gotten new information and the perception of this virus and how to handle it, how bad it's going to be, has shifted significantly. And my gosh, you're talking about a guy with an attention span of five seconds whose whose statements don't even line up from morning to afternoon. And you're going to pretend that months later you can go back and say, well, this, he said this, and this doesn't, this doesn't uh, line up with what he said publicly, and he's lying to the American people. I, I, I got to say, I have to defend Trump on this as much as I hate it. This, this is not fair, especially when he was echoing the statements of Dr. Anthony Fauci. Correct. Which, who's a media darling. So how is it that, that Anthony Fauci or Fraudci gets no blowback for doing the very same things and saying the very same things that Trump was? And to Fraudci's credit, and this mildly surprised me because it's the first time I can think of where Fauci has said something where he knew the media was not going to like it. Fauci actually came out in defense of Trump in response to the Woodward book. And basically said what I just said was that what Trump was saying was what we were telling him. And that was shifting on a on a regular basis. So Fauci effectively ended this story, which once again, you know, for the 101st time, if you're a Trump fan, it's more than that. They'll tell you it's a the thousand and first time. The media has jumped all over something. And then when you get to the to the details of it. And, and you get some context, it's not nearly as bad as they portray it as being. And this has destroyed their credibility, especially among Trump fans. I mean, it, at this point, among the Trump base, the news media could, could have literally anything against Donald Trump. And if it came from CNN or MSNBC or ABC, CBS, NBC, nobody in the Trump cult would believe it. It's absolutely positively the case. I love the poorly educated. Even if it was true. Uh, and I, you know, frankly, I don't even blame them that much anymore. I don't even blame them that much because the media has done this so often and has lost so much credibility in so many areas. And this is one of them. And, you know, and of course, I was screaming last week and I'm still upset about it, this element of it because I think this is impacting us today. The, the most absurd part of the whole Woodward controversy is that Trump was being criticized for not telling the American public things that turned out to not be true. You cannot be serious. I mean, how insane is that? He didn't tell us things that were not true. Thankfully, they were not true. And and so um, this, this I, I don't think that's going to have much of any impact 
on the election. As far as the book is concerned, and this happens so often, the important things always get lost. And the entire uh, you know, Trump-Russia investigation, I've said it a hundred times. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. The, the big revelation was something the American people know almost nothing about. That while Donald Trump was the Republican presidential presumptive nominee, he was still trying to build a Trump Tower in Moscow and negotiating with Vladimir Putin to do it, potentially with a, dry, uh, a, a bribe for Putin. Correct. That's humongous. But it got lost in the enormity of that story. Well, similarly, with the Woodward book, there are things in there that are far more damning far more significant that no one's going to know about because it didn't have the you know the Shazam element of the audio supposedly contradicting Trump's public statements. I'm referring to the continual evidence that Donald Trump is in love with dictators and tyrants and has bragged on tape about loving them and going out of their way to protect them and praise them. And, and that uh, he clearly wants to be one, that he clearly emulates one, uh, being a, a tyrant or a dictator and wishes that he could be one in America. If only he was the governor of California, he could probably get away with doing so. But I mean, that's just, I mean, this is it's just flat out ridiculous. And, and very few Americans are even going to know or care that much about it because we don't seem to care about foreign policy. But Kim Jong-un and the. Uh, you know, the, the Saudi Arabian leadership and the Turkey leadership. And I mean, it just goes on and on where he has has this bizarre uh, weakness for tyrants and dictators. But you know what? Uh, you know, we're not going to talk that much about that because the media doesn't care. The American public doesn't care. And, you know, we're going to we're going to obsess about things that are neither fair nor actually true. The big picture to me about the Woodward book is Trump is a freaking idiot for doing this. I mean, what kind of a colossal idiot does Donald Trump have to be? And I went back and I looked at some of his old tweets. It's absolutely astonishing that Donald Trump could within less than two years. People forget this is the second Woodward book about the Trump presidency. Correct. The second one. The first one came out and Trump had a fit called it a fraud and a fake and a phony and rip Woodward, blah, 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 said lots of things in there that were not true. In fact, specifically, he, he ripped on Twitter Woodward for claiming that, uh, that Donald Trump had disparaged former Attorney General Jeff Sessions, former senator from Alabama, Jeff Sessions, you know, for his southern accent and called him a retard and all that kind of stuff and said that wasn't true. And then right after that, Everything that Trump did was a thousand percent consistent with that being his belief about Sessions. Correct. And not only that, but then he goes and does another book with Bob Woodward, this time giving him 18 exclusive interviews on tape. What? You cannot be serious. <laughs> How can you be this dumb? How can you be this naive? It's, it's really a shocking thing because while I do, I do not believe that Trump is a complete idiot. I think he has some decent instincts and some basic knowledge of the world. I don't believe he's a naif. I think he's actually very cynical about life. And yet here he could be duped by Bob Woodward. Why? Because Donald Trump loves celebrity. 
That's what it is. He loves prestige and he loves celebrity. Correct. He's lived most of his life wanting to be embraced by the part of this famous people's club that will not have him. They didn't have him in New York among the Manhattan rich elite, and that pissed him off. I believe his most of his presidential run is based upon the idea that he's never been fully accepted into the, to the club of cool people, and he wanted his revenge. Well, Bob Woodward is the ultimate from the Woodward and Bernstein-Nixon era on. Bob Woodward is the ultimate, uh, you know, liberal elite, D.C., New York elite uh, uh, person, personality and celebrity where his approval would mean a lot to Donald Trump. And he be, clearly became enamored with the idea that Woodward was going to do a second book on him. Well, it was stupid. It was, it was foolish on his part. It was naive on his part. And frankly, in a rational world, it would be disqualifying to be president of the United States to be that naive, to be that bad a decision maker. You give a, a, a guy a second chance to do a book on you and give him 18 recorded interviews. And, and, and by the way, you know that the book is going to be released just before the election? Come on. Really? It's just flat out it's, ridiculous. It's, unbelie- it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that his fans still think that he's some sort of amazing genius uh, chess player. I love the poorly educated. Because he's not. He's, I don't even think he's playing checkers. He might not even be playing shoots and ladders. And he got he got duped by Woodward. And how much damage there's going to be, I don't know. There's some polling indicate indicating that there's significant damage uh, because of that and the, also the, the issue of the Atlantic article and the disparaging comments he made about uh, far, fallen American soldiers. I, I'm more in the camp of, at this point, we're so divided that almost nothing matters when it comes to politics. The first Woodward book did nothing to damage his approval ratings. I doubt this one is going to have much of an impact uh, either. Uh, but I did want to at least to mention the, the irony that Fauci came to Trump's aid on this issue where I do not think it is fair to criticize Donald Trump. Now, speaking of Fauci, he decided I don't know whether or not this was his attempt to try to uh, to, to give the media something that they actually wanted after having uh, not given them something what they, that they, they wanted with regard to the Woodward book. I mean, he gives us, gives us and he takes us away. Uh, Fauci obviously upset them with his defense of Trump when it came to the Woodward attacks, but he has given them several statements in the meantime that indicate that, guess what? This is going to shock you. But I'm moving the goalposts again. The, the goalposts have moved now so far uh, with regard to the COVID response that they're out of the stadium. Remember when it was flatten the curve, get the hospitals ready. We just do this for a couple of weeks and, you know, we prepare ourselves for the worst, hope for the best, lockdown. And, you know, then after that, uh, you know, we can start to get back to normal. Well, that seems like a very, very, very long time ago. And then it was wait for a vaccine, which seemed ridiculous given the history of vaccines and the massive conflicts of interest of those who were who were championing that particular philosophy. But okay, all right, we get a flat vaccine, uh, then we can get back to normal. Well, now, nope, sorry, it's no longer uh, wait for a vaccine. No, 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 no. It's wait for a full year for a vaccine to be widely accessible enough to the general public that we've completely eradicated, for all intents and purposes, the vaccine. Fauci went on CNN with Wolf Blitzer 
And he made that, effectively that statement, saying that we're not going to go back to any semblance of normalcy until uh, at least a year from now, well into 2021. And then Wolf Blitzer uh, uh, essentially reviewed what Fauci said and teed him up for a second statement on the topic. And here's what that sounded like on CNN. So even if there's a safe and effective vaccine, Dr. Fauci, let's say by the end of this year or early next year, uh, you're, you're telling our viewers here in the United States uh, and indeed around the world, that we probably are going to have to wear a mask throughout 2021. We'll probably have to engage in social distancing. We'll still have to be very careful. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, you're hearing it correctly from me, Wolf, because when we get a vaccine, let's say available at the end of the year, there will be millions and tens of millions of doses available. It won't be until we get into 2021 that you'll have hundreds of millions of doses. And just the logistics constraints in vaccinating large numbers of people, it's going to take months to get enough people vaccinated to have an umbrella of immunity over the community so that you don't have to worry about easy transmission. And that's what I mean. It's not going to be an overnight event where you have a vaccine and then all of a sudden everything is okay. It's going to take several months to get the population of this country vaccinated and protected from infection. Now, this is something I warned you about over the last couple of episodes. Fauci just let the cat out of the bag there as to what the strategy is. A lot of uh, conservatives, Trump fans in this country, have deluded themselves into thinking, well, November 4th is when the pandemic ends. Uh, assuming, I guess they're assuming, by the way, that that means Biden wins. Biden wins and then the pandemic is over on November 4th, the day after the election. I thought that was possible for a while. I no longer believe that. And I said that previously on another episode of the podcast, at least one or two times. And my thinking on that is this, that they need to be able to show off. They need to be able to come up with a reason why they were the ones that finally ended this. And when I say they, I mean the liberal elites, the Democrats, the, the, uh, you know, the scientific community, that uh, they're the ones that did this, that Trump failed, and so it's going to be well into the Biden presidency when we can finally declare victory on this. From a substantive standpoint, and I'm not, this is not a conspiracy theory, this is just people working in their own self-interest. From a substantive standpoint, what Fauci said there is flat-out ridiculous. It really is, right, Charles Barkley? It's just flat-out ridiculous. And here's why. The entire premise from the beginning here was, how do we avoid a catastrophic, uncontrollable, exponential spread? That was the whole deal. That was what Flatten the Curve was about. How, you know, how do we get out from that scenario? How do we prepare for that scenario? It was not wait until the virus is completely eradicated. We, we don't stop life for the flu. The flu is never going to be eradicated. We have a vaccine for that. That's never going to happen. No, but with a vaccine, but the existence of a vaccine, assuming one actually exists and it's shown to be effective and it's out by the end of the year, which seems to be the conventional wisdom at this point, which always makes me nervous because the conventional wisdom is so often wrong, especially in this story. But let's pretend that's the case. Once you have that, it's effectively a safety net against any sort of massive, even theoretical outbreak with exponential spread. It mutes the virus. It cannot do what you're fearing. 
It can't do it. Not to mention that you have inherent immunity among the people who have already had this. And that's really what Fauci and his ilk are fearing most. And that's what is, uh, in my view, going to be the biggest question moving forward. And it's actually going to have a major impact on this reelection campaign for Donald Trump. And I think it's going to harm him. As I've said many times, he can't come up with a narrative that makes sense, that works in his favor, largely because of his ego and partially because Fauci is still around. And because Trump is so wedded, so married, so invested to this idea that somehow the lockdown worked, the travel ban worked, it saved two million lives. And and therefore, you know, that, you know, I deserve credit for that. Well, that's that's not true, first of all. And it's inconsistent with what Trump would need to do to turn this thing around. He would need to turn this into a referendum on a future lockdown, on what life is going to be like after the election, instead of a referendum on him. A referendum on him will end up in him losing every single time. But if he can change this to a referendum on, okay, what kind of life do you want to live, on whether it's November 4th, or January 28th of 2021, whatever it is. What, that, that, is a ref, that is a referendum Trump can win. But, this, but he, need to be, he needs to be running against Fauci. I, I said when I saw that clip, he needs to, quote unquote, fire, whether he can actually technically do it or not is an open question, but he needs to sideline Fauci. He needs to say publicly, I'm done with Fauci. Fauci's view is not my view. That will not, that will not be... What runs my second term? That might be what runs Joe Biden's second term, because clearly Fauci is going to be the leader of Biden's scientific team. We know that. That's obvious because Fauci is a media darling. So he's going to keep Fauci along. So if Fauci's calling the shots, then guess what? From a federal standpoint, there's going to be no push at all, especially during the first few months of the Biden administration, to to reopen here, even if the virus is effectively gone. And that's really, I think, where this is heading. Assuming assuming there is such a thing as extended immunity, which we certainly are hoping for, and the statistics so far in Sweden and other places indicate that there is, assuming there is such a thing as extended immunity, the virus is on its way out in this country. It is fading away slowly, probably too slowly for Trump's benefit because we're such a massive country and because we're not we're not going back to school in most of the country and we're not doing the things that would actually uh, increase the rate at which we got through this like Sweden did. But the reality is this is fading away and this is going to cause a massive, and I think this is the critical issue that we're going to see in October, November, December, depending on how the election goes, where we have virtually no virus in this country. We're never going to get to zero. It's impossible because of the size of the country and the way they're doing the statistics. But we're going we're gonna to get close to that realm, close to where the statistics show, wow, this is not that big of a deal anymore. It's not at the pandemic level. Uh, We're not having anywhere close to a thousand deaths a day. And yet nothing has changed in much of the country. And it's because the experts won't be able to let go. 
They will not be able to let go. They will constantly be saying, uh, well, that third wave, it's just around the corner. We've got to still be careful. We can't do anything. We can't go back to normal life. Even though there's a vaccine now, we can't do it because if we do it and nothing happens, then guess what? They just made the biggest fucking mistake in the history of modern science. And they made the mistake because they miscalculated how many people would have to get this for there to be a semblance of herd immunity. That's the issue here. And they're going to pretend that the numbers are down because of masks. Because of masks. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, it's, it is absurd. Blasphema! No, no, no. It's a religion. It has become, the mask thing has become an absolute religion. Blasphemy! He said it again! That's the reality of this. But that's what they're going to tell you. I've actually had serious people tell me that the reason why New York and New Jersey have lower case rates and far fewer deaths than they than the rest of the country as far as population is concerned right now is not because they got hit so hard that at the beginning that they have some semblance of herd immunity. No, 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 no. It's because they're doing a better job with masks. Are you fucking kidding me? You cannot be serious. That is that is absurd. The statistics don't bear that out. There's no logic to that. Why the fuck didn't masks help them in in April and May uh, when all those people died there? It's it's a it's an absolute absurdity, but that's what they're going to hang on to because otherwise they have to admit they were not just wrong. They were catastrophically wrong. And to an, an, an extraordinary level of destruction because of it. The destruction of maybe the entire fabric, foundation, and DNA of the greatest country that man ever created. All over what will turn out to be a really bad flu. That's what, if that's the scenario that occurs, that's what we're looking at here. But Fauci can't have that. The scientific establishment can't have that because then it's all on them. So... We're going to pretend it's masks. We're going to pretend that there's a third wave coming at any moment. And then just to make sure that everyone knows clearly uh, who ended this thing, we're going to wait several months into a new administration until everybody's got a vaccine before we finally say, well, okay, maybe we can start to lighten up a bit. That's fucking bullshit. But that's the narrative that's going to win because why? The people in power are all invested in that narrative. The media, the scientific community, the Democratic Party, and yes, even Donald Trump. And that's where it, it, you know, as someone who has no dog in this hunt, because I hate everybody, and I'm not rooting for Donald Trump, I'm not going to be voting for Donald Trump, uh, but I I can't vote for Joe Biden anymore because of all this left-wing lunatic insanity and another shutdown coming. But the reality is that Trump cannot take advantage of this because he cannot provide a proper context. He cannot provide a contrast, I should say, not context, but contrast to what the Democrats and the liberal elites are selling, partially because he still has Fauci speaking for his administration and partially because he won't let go of this idea that he saved two million lives. Now, last night there was a town hall on ABC and this was excruciating for someone like me to watch because I, I, I can't stand Trump. I can't vote for Biden. I hate the media. I hate unfairness. I, I, I hate everything about this. And this event, uh, you know, if you're a Trump fan, I can totally understand 
why you would believe that the media is completely out to get him and that they're, they've lost all semblance of even pretending to be fair. There, a Joe Biden town hall on ABC would have looked nothing like this. I mean, George Stephanopoulos, the host, was openly a Democrat. He's the former advisor to Bill Clinton when he was president. It's amazing that he, he gets to consider himself to be an objective news host for Good Morning America and to host these kinds of things. But he's openly a Democrat. He was openly uh, anti-Trump. Now, look, there's a lot of reason to be anti-Trump, and it's difficult because you got to correct every time he lies, which is constant. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not saying it's an easy situation. But there is no way that a Joe Biden town hall would look anything like this. Now, Biden's doing one on CNN on Thursday night, and it's going to look like a campaign pep rally in comparison to what Trump had to endure last night with a bunch of uh, lunatic Democratic voters throwing all sorts of bombs at him. And I didn't think he did particularly well, especially at the beginning. He, he uh, most frustratingly missed a couple of great opportunities. And this goes to my theme of this podcast, which is that Trump has been given, and this has frankly been the theme, I think, of the last several weeks of this campaign, Trump has been handed on a silver platter an opportunity to get back in this election because of statements that Biden has made about, you know, no miracle is coming. Well, I have news for him. No miracle is coming. And uh, also that he's going to shut down the country again if the scientists tell him to. He's been handed this on a silver platter, but he cannot take advantage. One, because he can't find a narrative that makes any goddamn sense that his ego will let him uh, put forward because of this idea, this mythology that he saved two million lives. I mean, he was contradicting himself all over the place last night. He's, 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 he was saying, you know, this is all China's fault. And uh, which, you know, it may in fact be China's fault, depending on what you believe about the, these new theories coming out that this was all actually created in the lab. I don't know what to make of those, but it was on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox News Channel last night, almost at the exact same time that Trump was on ABC. So, you know, on Fox News Channel, they're they're uh, putting forward this theory that it really is China's fault and Trump is ripping China Yet when Stephanopoulos asked him about comments that he made that were very positive about uh, President Xi of China at the beginning of the pandemic, Trump didn't back off from them because he can't admit he ever makes a mistake. Correct. And in order to create a narrative that makes sense, he has to acknowledge he made mistakes, that he was duped, that he was given bad advice, that Fauci was wrong, and he can't do it because of his ego. And so there were two moments in particular that were exceedingly frustrating from somebody uh, like myself who just wants some semblance of sanity to be restored with regard to this uh, obscene, absurd, nonsensical uh, lockdown regarding uh, the coronavirus, one dealing with masks, one dealing with the issue of herd immunity. Here was the mask question, which Trump, in my view, totally butchered. And it's classic, it is classically a case of where Trump's handicapped. His hands are tied because of this issue I keep pounding where he can't pick a narrative. He's afraid. He doesn't want to go too far in one direction or the other. He's actually quite a wimp on an issue like this. He doesn't want to offend his base that doesn't believe in masks. Uh, But he also can't say that he got duped on the mask issue. And he lets this questioner say something that there, for which there is absolutely no evidence, doesn't push back. And then he tells this bizarre story involving a waiter that I don't even understand what the hell he was talking about. But here's what it sounded like last night on ABC. The wearing of masks has proven to lessen the spread of COVID. 
Um, why don't you support a mandate for national mask wearing, and why don't you wear a mask more often? Well, I do wear them when I have to and when I'm in hospitals and other locations. But I, I will say this. Uh, they said at the Democrat convention they're going to do a national mandate. They never did it because they've checked out and they didn't do it. And a, qu a good question is you ask, like Joe Biden, they said we're going to do a ma national mandate on masks. He's called on all governors to have them. It is a state well, responsibility. Well, no, but he, he didn't do it. I mean, he never did it. Now, uh, there is, by the way, a lot of people don't want to wear masks. There are a lot of people think the masks are not good. And there are a lot of people that, as an example, who you have... Who are those people? I'll tell you who those people are. Waiters, they come over and they serve you and they have a mask. And I saw it the other day where they were serving me. And they're playing with a mask. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying what happens. They're playing with a mask. So the mask is over and they're touching it. And, put, and then they're touching the plate. That can't be good. There are a lot of people. If you look at Dr. Fauci's original statement, you look at a lot of people, CDC, you look at a lot of people's original statement, they said very strongly, George, don't wear masks. Then all of a sudden they went to wear masks. The concept of a mask is good, but it also does, you're constantly touching it, you're touching your face, you're touching plates. There are people that don't think masks are good. The last part of that was actually the proper answer. Of course, it took him a minute to get there, but he should be questioning, wait a minute, how did we get to a mask mandate months after all the experts at the height of this thing? I mean, the part of this mask thing that drives me most bananas is that if masks really are this effective, why are the proponents of masks not marching in the street socially distant, of course, for Dr. Fauci's scalp? He cost tens of thousands of lives, especially in the New York City area, if masks are all that great. Because in the early period, I think it was March 7th or 9th, somewhere in that range, Fauci said on 60 Minutes, we shouldn't be all wearing masks right now. He laughed at masks. He mocked the concept of mask use from the, the general public. And now, of course, he's claiming that this was because he didn't want to run on masks, which sounds, by the way, like trying to avoid a panic, which Trump said the same thing he got tortured for by the same media. But I, but I digress. The reality is that the CDC, the Surgeon General, and Fauci all completely flipped. Why did they flip? It's not because the science of masks and viruses suddenly changed in the middle of June or July. You know what changed? Public opinion changed. Public fear changed. The public desire for a security blanket, like a child afraid of a monster underneath their bed. That's what changed. It changed because of the politics of it becoming a virtue signal against Donald Trump by liberals. Now, look, you want to wear a mask? Knock yourself out. By the way, you might actually do that if you wear it for too long. I got no problem with that. Go ahead and wear your mask. But the idea of a state mandate with a penalty. Pennsylvania, my former home state, has a bill proposed by Democrats that would make it a criminal offense to not wear a mask in public because, because effectively you would be endangering other people. This would be a criminal offense. Endangerment. Criminal endangerment. Now, I don't think it's going to become law, but this is the level of insanity we've gotten to here. 
Well, if that if masks really work, and I'm open to any evidence that they that they do, I've seen none. I've seen no evidence that a mandate shifted the data of any state or country in a particularly good direction uh, over an extended period of time. None. In fact, I've seen the opposite far, far more often. But uh, but the idea of a mandate is where I, f- I find it particularly repugnant. I've done a column about that for media, which you can find at our Twitter feed, which is at individual, the number one pod. And I hope you'll check that out. But the other part of the statement there that Trump really blew, really blew, and, and not just from a uh, factual standpoint, but from a political perspective, is his criticism of Biden's federal idea of a federal mask mandate. This, this is so if I, you know, if I, God forbid, was run, running or part of running the Trump campaign, I would be going apoplectic right now. What the fuck are we doing? The issue is not that Joe Biden has flip flopped on his own mask mandate or that Democrats haven't instituted it. How the fuck can he institute it when he's not president? That's an absurdity. The Biden said when he becomes president, he will institute a federal mask mandate. And then Trump says, well, they said at the convention and they didn't follow up on it. What are you talking about? He's not president yet. (laughs) That doesn't happen unless something really strange happens until February of 2021. So I don't even understand what the fuck Trump is talking about here. So... Not to mention it's the wrong message. You you don't say he's not going to do it politically. You say he's going to do it. He promised it. Do you want to be living in a country where we have a federal mask mandate? And let's be clear about this federal mask mandate because no one is smart enough to unpack this thing. Because it goes, Biden is is being allowed to have it both ways on this. The people that love the masks are saying, yay, federal mask mandate. The people that fear the masks are saying, well, it can't actually be enforced. And Biden has said, well, it can't actually be enforced. It might not even be uh, technically legal. It would just be a recommendation. And so he gets to have it both ways. But let's talk about this in reality. Let's say he wins, which he likely will, in a red state that does not have a mask mandate. All right, let's let's go say you live in, in a red state that does not have a mask mandate. Think about the chaos, confusion, and division a federal mask mandate would cause in those states because any business owner, any school, anybody putting on a sporting event, whatever it is, could arbitrarily decide, well, I'm going to abide by the federal mask mandate. They would, And they would have the moral authority, and in many cases, the media backing to do so. That's going to cause enormous chaos enormous division, enormous conflict, because people won't even know from place to place, is there a mask mandate or there isn't one? So if from a political standpoint, Trump should be hanging Joe Biden on this notion that he wants to create a federal mask mandate. One, because he doesn't have the authority. It's not legal. Two, because it's a logistical nightmare. Three, because it won't actually work. Instead, he's doing this business and they've run. I've seen ads online where the Trump campaign is going after Biden because he's flip-flopped on it. What a bunch of morons. What a bunch of freaking morons. And this is why I'm convinced more and more every day Trump's going to lose an election that he could have won. This, is, this was a theoretically winnable election 
because of the mistakes that Biden has made and because of the overreach by Democrats on the entire lockdown. But Trump just doesn't get it and his ego won't let him do it. And even when he is right on the issue, he still fucks it up, which happened with another topic in the ABC town hall last night. This one, I think, is as I've already mentioned, is at the essence of where we are and where we are heading with regard to the COVID response. And it's the issue is supposed to be herd immunity. Unfortunately, Donald Trump and I, you know, there was a there was a old famous NFL play where a Cleveland Brown by the name of Ernest Biner in the AFC Championship game was going in for the touchdown to win the game. And he and it looked like he was in the end zone and he fumbled the ball like the half yard line and the Denver Broncos recovered. And uh, he's infamous for that. This is what reminded me of that here. Trump is about to go into the end zone. He's got about to go into the end zone explaining to the American people, guess what? The virus is going away. It's going away with or without a vaccine. He's dead right on the issue. This is at the heart of where we are. And he fucks up the actual terminology being used in a way that gets him mocked rightfully on social media. And here's what that sounded like last night. Go away without the vaccine, George. But it's going to go away a lot faster. With go it. away without the vaccine? Sure. Over a period of time. Sure. With time, it goes and many away. deaths. And you'll develop. You'll develop herd like a herd mentality. It's going to be. It's going to be herd developed, and that's going to happen. That will all happen. But with the vaccine, I think it will go away very quickly. Got to take a quick. But break. I really believe we're rounding the corner, and I believe that strong. As you know, Doctor. All right. Herd mentality. Herd mentality. You cannot be serious. He has this one opportunity in front of a large audience on national television, where even George Stephanopoulos, the host of Good Morning America, clearly has no clue. No clue. He, he what? What? It would go away without a vaccine? He has the opportunity to to educate the American people on the number one issue facing us with regard to the COVID response. Are we going to have herd immunity or not? And he blows it to the point where even Stephanopoulos had no idea what the hell he was talking about. And he got mocked for this, rightfully so. Not that this matters that much because Twitter's not the real world. But herd mentality was, was trending all night last night. And, and so instead of the substantive issue having a unique opportunity to be, to be brought in front of the American people, because the media is not going to do it. The media is completely ignoring this massive issue. This is the biggest issue facing the world right now. Is there herd immunity or is there not? Is it obtainable or is it not? Is Sweden some sort of massive fluke that with no explanation or did they do it right in the end? Because now they're living normally for two months without any real deaths. They haven't had over double digit deaths on any day in Sweden in exactly two months. And they have almost no cases, no hospitalizations. They're living effectively normally. This was their strategy. And they were able to hit it at a far, far, far lower case rate and load than the experts said was possible. Fauci, still to this day, won't even acknowledge that herd immunity strategy is a viable one. And that makes him invested which is the most dangerous thing an expert can have happen to them. They are invested 
in a reality not being true because it makes them look bad and strips them of their expertise credentials. Correct. That's the most important thing to these assholes. All right. It's way more important than what's good for the the country, way more important than what's good for preventing COVID. What protects what's most valuable to them, their status as an expert or in the case of Fauci, his status as a media star. And so so this is a very dangerous period we're heading into right now. Trump had an opportunity, a golden opportunity to to at least try to to set the narrative in another direction or at least put the foot in the door of this bogus narrative that the media is pretending Sweden doesn't even exist. And of course, Trump is once again uniquely poorly suited to do this, not just because he's a he's a moron and because he's a bad spokesperson and he's and he's you know very prone to making errors like uh, herd mentality. But previously he ripped Sweden, too. I mentioned that on the podcast at the time. I thought, oh, my God, he's 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 just screwed himself. He's just screwed the country because if he believes in all and we and let's be clear what happened here. Here's what here's what really happened. So, so Sweden had, you know, 5,000 deaths early, almost all of them in, in nursing homes, average age, 86 years old. And Fauci, who, who is invested against the idea of herd immunity, because if herd immunity is obtainable, he's a fucking idiot. So here's what happens one day. This is my theory. Uh, you know, Fauci comes in one day and says, boy, Mr. President, thank God you were smart enough not to go in the Swedish direction, because look what happened to them. You know, oh, my God, it's a it's just a it's a catastrophe there. And Trump says it at a press conference. I mean, you know, he almost repeats it word for word. And in his mind, this is vindication of his leadership because he shut us down, unlike Sweden, where it's a disaster. Well, now, because of time and because of circumstances, we're doing a slow Swedish strategy. The dumbest thing you can possibly do, by the way. But we're doing the slow Swedish strategy. And it looks like eventually, maybe not soon enough for Trump's reelection, that it's going to work. And he can't take advantage of it for the reasons that I just mentioned. And what I care about is the fact that the country is going to suffer. We, you know, they've been telling us and and Fauci's forwarding this narrative too. This is going to be a very dark winter. This is going to be, you know, uh, the, the worst winter. We've got to really hunker down and we might have a third wave. And boy, oh boy, until until we can finally get the vaccine in everybody's hands, this is just going to be ugly. Now, this isn't going to be the darkest winter in American history. This is going to be the dumbest winter in American history where we're going to all sit around pretending that any moment this whole thing is going to explode on us again when it's actually mostly gone. And, and it's because Trump didn't have the ability and was too slow to figure out that this is what the saving grace was going to be. This was what was going to save us. Not the vaccine, maybe in combination with a vaccine, but Trump blew it here. And he blew it here largely because he got duped by Fauci and he's afraid to admit he was wrong. And he deserves total blame for that. Uh, and, and it's handicapping him absolutely when it comes to his reelection because it's going to end up being a referendum on him and he's going to lose that referendum when it should be a referendum on what kind of life we want to live going forward. Now, uh, as far as what you know, Trump should have done since I'm at it, you know, there, there are a lot of things that Trump should have done uh, with regard to the COVID response. And uh, you know, obviously he should not have underplayed this so dramatically at the beginning because that set expectations 
and then put out a lot of statements out there that ended up looking ridiculous in retrospect. Uh, he did it, obviously, because he was terrified that this was going to destroy his reelection narrative and because he's a very optimistic person who thinks he's blessed. And maybe he even thought that somehow, by a miracle, we were going to be the only country in the world that avoided this. That was never going to happen. So he should never have underplayed it. But then he should never have overplayed it because he went from underplaying it to way overplaying it because he decided he was a wartime president and he was going to do everything he possibly could, take advantage of this, turn into the curve, get all that power, give everybody free money, you know, show, show everybody that he could handle this, shut down the world. Uh, and and I, in retrospect, that wasn't needed either. And he allowed Fauci to take over his presidency. That was a massive error. When, when the story of this is all written, allowing Fauci to take over his presidency is why Donald Trump is in all likelihood going to be a one-term president. I think the thing he should have done at the beginning of this was not just prepare us for this is going to be bad. Hopefully it won't be catastrophic. Let's protect the vulnerable. But the most important thing he should have done was he should have said, you know what, America, uh, here's how you can make yourself safe. It's not by masks. The safest thing you can do, the thing that can most improve your chances of surviving this should you get it, is to lose some weight. Lose some weight. And then, since he's an obese person himself, he should have gone on a diet and exercise regime. Can you imagine if if Trump had had the humility to say, you know what, the experts have told me that we as Americans will be far safer from this if we lose weight, and I'm going to lead by example. And he had actually lost weight through diet and exercise, which would have been good for everybody anyway. I mean, if you're setting that kind of an example. But it would have shown he was willing to make some sacrifices. He had some self-discipline to set an example for everybody. The idea that we haven't even tried. We've had six months. We've had six months. Realize how much, if we had really put our mind to it, how many people would be in better shape right now, not just regarding to COVID, but in, in general, if there had been a national movement to lose weight, knowing that that was a huge portion of what makes people vulnerable to this thing, we've known that basically from the beginning. Yet there was no effort whatsoever by anybody. Why? Because everyone's terrified of calling people fat. We live in a politically correct world where you're not allowed to say someone's fat. My God, there, there, there was a, a, a news media story out of South Carolina where the media uh, had hyperventilations over the fact that a school teacher at the age of 28 died of COVID. Of course, they didn't tell you she hadn't actually been in the classroom, number one. So it wasn't that she got it from the classroom because there was no in-classroom school. But then if you accidentally saw a photo of her, you realized, oh, my God. Oh, my God. How, did, how was she even getting out of bed in the morning? But you're not allowed to say that because that's fat shaming. I, I, that's, that's what ended up happening to this woman. As unfortunate as it is, that's the reality. So we, we know that being obese is a huge risk factor. Trump could have done something about that. And I think it would have changed everything. I would think it would have changed, first of all, a lot of less people would have died. America would be far less healthy. And it would have changed the perception of him and his response to this. If we used one one thousandth of the shaming we do to get people to wear masks into shaming people into getting that donut out of their face, we'd be in a hell of a lot better shape right now with regard to this COVID response. Far fewer people would be vulnerable. Far fewer people would die. But, you know, that's way beyond Trump's capabilities, which is why he never should have been president in the first place. Correct. Because he's not capable 
of that kind of thinking or that kind of act because it's just not in his mentality. Correct. Now, as far as, you know, one other thing, uh, as far as where we're going, this will dovetail between the science and the politics of all this. Uh, You know, the Scientific American uh, magazine did something unprecedented yesterday. They endorsed Joe Biden for president. 175 years they've been in existence, highly prestigious scientific magazine, never done a presidential endorsement. They decided this time they're going to endorse uh, Joe Biden. Of course, they weren't going to endorse Donald Trump. Everyone knows that. Uh, I found this to be really disgusting and very emblematic of where we are with regard to science in this country. At the very beginning of all this, you know, I was wrong about how many people were going to die, depending on your definitions. Uh, And I was wrong, like a lot of people were, about uh, how big of a deal this was going to be from a virus standpoint. It's absolutely a big deal. It absolutely is a crisis. That's all given. But there were a couple of things I said right from the beginning that were dead on. One of them was that the left would use this, regardless of the reality, as Donald Trump's Katrina, Hurricane Katrina situation that what the left did in 2006 with Hurricane Katrina and George W. Bush effectively ending his presidency is what they would do to Donald Trump. And that's exactly what they have done. And I also said that this would all be a proxy war for global climate change, the war over global climate change, which liberals have really not been very successful in this country at winning. That the, the, the COVID response would be seen as a proxy war for climate change. And that's a, effectively what has happened here. And the connections between the two, there have been many media articles connecting the two, even though there's no direct connection. But psychologically, there's a huge connection. Because if you believe us on COVID, then you're now finally going to believe us that the world is going to end because of global climate change, global warming. Even though, uh, look, I believe a close look at the facts would actually discredit them because they were wrong about the catastrophe that was COVID. And I believe that they're wrong about the catastrophe that's going to be man-made climate change or global warming. But that's really the essence of this endorsement. And it's emblematic of the fact that science has become overtly political now. That's all it is. Science wants love. They want money. uh, They want prestige. They want uh, liberals to like them. And now, you know, so this this magazine basically in exchange for a bunch of retweets on Twitter gives away 175 years of uh, of alleged agnosticism on politics. Now, look, everyone knows they're all liberals to begin with, but you don't go that extra step and actually endorse a presidential candidate because now now I have no reason to believe anything you do, nothing you say, because now I know, oh, so you're part of a political agenda. It's kind of like the, the, the old thing with, you know, uh, with, with uh, saying to a woman, will you sleep with me for a million dollars? And she says uh, no. And you say, well, how about two million? And then you're just figuring out what the price is. I mean, the reality is you're a whore. It's just a matter of what your price is. So you've just whored yourself out, the scientific American, as well as the general scientific community. They're, they're politicians. They're part of a political agenda. Now, people who have followed this already knew this, but now it's out in the open. I guess there's a positive aspect to that, that it's now out in the open, that they've just they, they've declowned themselves so much. Now, they've made it so clear and obvious, and they so badly want a virtue signal and get those uh, liberal retweets on Twitter that they've made a political endorsement. That, that science needs to be away from politics, but it is no longer. And we've seen it in COVID, and we see it in climate change, and it's disgusting.
Now, as far as where we are with regard to reelection, big development today, uh, potentially involving the Big Ten football conference. For those of you who missed this, uh, Donald Trump stepped in or at least tried to step in when the Big Ten football conference announced that they were not going to play football this year. There was a movement to try to get that decision reversed. Trump uh, spoke with or met with, I'm not sure which, the Big Ten commissioner. He tweeted about it. At the time, I thought this was going to make it almost impossible for the Big Ten to actually play. So I was wrong about that because I thought, okay, wait a minute, hold on. You're going to force liberal academics to admit, one, that they were wrong in shutting down football to begin with, and two, you're going to let them take, they're going to, they're going to make a decision that lets Donald Trump take a victory lap right before an election in key states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, maybe Minnesota. That seemed like a stretch to me. And so I was wrong in, in that analysis. Apparently, the pressure from the public was so great that it overcame the news media, it overcame the liberal nature of those making the decisions. Uh, and it overcame the inertia of reversing a decision. I mean, reversing a decision of this magnitude is never easy. And I'm not happy with the way they're doing it. I think the season is too short. It's starting too late. It's not till late October. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me how they're going to do it. But at least there's going to be a semblance of a football season in the Big Ten. And uh, for those of you who aren't that familiar with Big Ten football in America and are wondering what the hell does this have to do with the presidential election, potentially it has a lot to do with it because the states that won Donald Trump the election in 2016 were Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, partially Ohio because he won Ohio as he was expected to do. But those are four Big Ten states. You got Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Wisconsin, who now all go from not playing football to playing football, and plausibly Trump is able to get credit for that. Now, let's be clear about why it's rational for him to get credit. Joe Biden's campaign put out a commercial criticizing Trump for the Big Ten not playing football. Trump then stepped in. Well, you know, I'm not saying he's the reason, but it got done on his watch and he tried, and you know, if you're if you're trying to be objective about this, at the very least, because I had someone ask me uh, on Twitter, well, what did he do? I said, well, the the story was about to die. There needed to be some push. There needed to be some some momentum behind it. And the president of the United States getting involved created much more perception of momentum and media coverage. And him tweeting, "Hey, we're on the one yard line. We're close to getting this done." absolutely, in retrospect, it looks like, played a role in that decision being reversed, even though I'm sure that the liberal academics that were behind it were, were biting their tongues and, and very hesitant about the idea that they were going to give Donald Trump a political victory in the middle of a reelection campaign. Now, how much of an impact does it have? I don't know. I've said many times, I'm not sure anything has a big impact anymore. And you know, I, I don't know that this is a, a grand slam for Trump. I think part of Trump's problem is, and this is weird to me for a guy who knows the media so well as he does, I think sometimes Trump thinks that if he tweets about something, he has set a narrative about it. That's not the case. A couple of tweets and a, and a random comment in, in, uh, in an interview is not enough anymore for the average person to understand hey, Donald Trump played a role in saving Big Ten football. 
So I'm not 100% sure. Maybe in the states that matter, this has gotten enough attention that people know about it. But I'm not sure that Trump owned this issue as much as he really needed to. I'm also not 100% sure how much credit he'll get. I don't think it hurts him. That's for sure. Uh, and, 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 you know, if Trump is smart, he'll try to take it as much advantage of this as possible. But he's got such a short attention span. It's a good chance he doesn't do that. But if you're a swing voter, as a lot of football fans are, in, in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin, it's pretty clear cut which world you, you want to live in. You want to live in a world where the Big Ten can play football. That's the Donald Trump world. The Joe Biden world, led by liberal academics and you know the scientific community and the medical community that was lying about the impact of, of COVID because they were desperate to come up with some rationalization for why they weren't going to play. That world doesn't let you play football. And you know the proof of that? You know, this is, to me, maybe the most interesting element of all this. The proof that this really is a liberal conservative world thing is that the Pac-12 is still not going to play. What's the Pac-12? It's the super liberal states of California, Oregon, Washington. Now, Arizona, you know, is a purple state now, and Utah, you know, has to go along for the ride, Colorado. But the reality is it's mostly California, Oregon, and Washington. That's most of the conference right there. And those are all very liberal states with very liberal governors, very liberal academic institutions. And so... They're not going to play, just as I predicted at the beginning of this. The Pac-12 would not be the one. They would be the ones that did not play because they're a bunch of liberal wussy morons. And, and they're beholden to a bunch of academics and, and governors that don't have a clue. And so when this all goes down, and it goes down without a major problem, which it will, now they're going to try to claim, oh, my God, all these cases from football players, it's a disaster. So far, to my knowledge, there's not one college football player that's been hospitalized because of COVID. And, uh, and so far in the games that have been played and the small crowds that have been out there, there's been no indication of any hospitalizations related to any of that. So the media will try their best. But I believe that college football is going to go on, and it will go on without a disaster. And it's going to really create the opportunity for a stark contrast. The liberal world of the Pac-12, the red state world of the SEC, where they're going to go full bore, the purple world of the Big Ten, where, well, we're not going to do it. Well, now actually we are going to do it because we got forced into it because the fans revolted and the players revolted and the parents revolted. And so it's, it's fascinating that it comes down right on political lines. SEC never wavered because they're red states. Pac-12 was never going to play because they're blue states, by and large. Big, T- Big Ten, they were right in the middle. They're a bunch of purple states. So at first they weren't going to play. Now they've reversed themselves. So there is a narrative there that works for Trump. I just don't think he is capable of taking advantage of it. And the polling data, to me, is making it more and more clear that Trump's path to winning this is exceedingly narrow. Now, there are, there's a new Rasmussen poll out now that shows Trump winning the popular vote by one point. It's just flat out ridiculous. I mean, come on, people. We live in such a divided era now where we now have polls that are basically therapy for people to believe whatever the hell they want to believe. I mean, there's no indication that Trump is winning the popular vote. He's losing the popular vote by six to seven points. 
which is close enough for him to dream, but not close enough for him to win at this point. Uh, that could shift a little bit, but there's been very little indication that it will because of the the uh, divided nature of the populace and, and how few undecided voters there are. But, uh, you know, right now, if the election were today, I've said this many times, there is zero doubt that Joe Biden would win. By how much? Hard to say. Does he run the table in the reverse of what Joe, Joe, uh, uh, Donald Trump did in 2016? Or does he win just half the states that are close? Doesn't matter. Even if he won half the states that are close, he would still win by a small margin in the Electoral College. Uh, but to me, if I'm if I'm in the Trump campaign, which obviously I'm not, thank goodness, one of the things that would have me most concerned today is an ABC poll. Now, ABC's polling is suspect, but this is pretty dramatic. A poll out of Minnesota, a state where Trump has been you know, pretending he has a shot to win, largely because of the civil unrest there in the wake of the George Floyd uh, death and all the protests and riots there in Minneapolis. He's losing in Minneapolis, in, in Minnesota, which has Minneapolis, by 16 points. 16 points. Now, if that poll is even close to true, you can stick a fork in the idea that he can put Minnesota in play, which is important from an Electoral College perspective. But I think the significance is even greater than that. Because let's say it's true that he it cannot win Minnesota, that Minnesota is off the table. You know what that tells me? It tells me that this entire theory that somebody in the Trump campaign has, that he's going to ride law and order to re-election is just not true. And I have never felt that the law and order issue was particularly effective for Trump. And here's why. Maybe I'm too logical. But what's the, what is the, what's the theory here? So he's president of the United States right now. And we have massive civil unrest. Why is that going to get any better if he's reelected? If he can't stop it now, how can he stop it as a lame duck president? So that's never made any damn sense to me. I, I get that in, you know, it's always been the theory that civil unrest is good for Republicans because it scares white suburban voters. Uh, and, but I don't, I don't think that works anymore. I think that there, there's been so much brainwashing by the news media and there's so much white guilt now that I, I don't think that the issue works particularly well at all for Republicans, especially one as toxic as Donald Trump. So if the, if the Minnesota poll is accurate, and you know maybe we'll see another poll soon that will either verify it or, or, or debunk it, but if that poll is accurate, I, I just don't see how Trump wins, not because Minnesota's not in play, but because he's put all his chips in that basket. And I don't think the law and order basket wins him the election. I think the only way he wins the election is putting this as a referendum on do you want to live in shutdown nation or a, a, a nation that is getting back to normal? Which which one do you want to live in? I think he can win that battle, but he can't make that argument because he's a poor spokesperson and because his ego won't let him. And that's why uh, I, I'm still very, very down on Trump's reelection chances. Also, he's got to win Florida, and Michael Bloomberg just announced he's going to spend $100 million defeating Trump in Florida. You cannot be serious! $100 million. Think about this, folks. 
Okay, now, when I met, when I tweeted about this, a lot of Trump fans said, "Wow, Michael Bloomberg didn't do anything in the Democratic primaries, and people don't pay attention to ads." That's that's bullshit. Michael Bloomberg went from zero as a very very moderate Democrat, former Republican, based on ads alone, to winning 15, 18, I think up to twenty percent in some states in just a couple of months. It didn't win him anything, but. Uh, that's a significant amount of votes in a state that's as close as Florida, and Trump is currently losing Florida. He cannot lose Florida and win the election. So let's pretend best. Let's just pretend best case for Trump that Florida is tied right now. There actually is a, a poll that has it tied at 50-50, which of course is impossible because that means there's there's no undecided votes. But that's what the poll said. It's I think out either today or yesterday. Let's pretend that the race is 50-50, right? If Michael Bloomberg uses that $100 million in a way that makes any sense at all, and he targets, let's see, say he targets what you can do in this day and age of social media. He targets the most vulnerable 1 million Trump voters to try to dissuade them from voting for Trump, either to not vote or to vote for Biden. He can spend $100 per voter targeting them for the next six weeks. You don't think that that's a headwind that's going to matter? I, I, I don't see how Trump overcomes that when he has, to, he has to make up ground. So if you're in a foot race and you're tied and all of a sudden you get a hurricane wind in your face, how the hell are you going to win that? So you know, I'm going to keep, at least for now, because I want some more information post-Big Ten football, uh, not that I think Big Ten football is a, is a miracle game changer, but it could have an influence. So I'm going to keep uh, the the current chances of Trump uh, winning re-election at 15 percent. But if there is no movement because of the Big Ten decision, uh, then that number is going to keep going down uh, unless there's some sort of miracle in the debates, which I don't see happening because the expectations for Joe Biden are so incredibly low already because Trump fans love to – to, to put forward and Trump loves to put forward this idea that uh, that that Biden has dementia, which he may, uh, and therefore, you know, if Biden's just able to stand up for the entire debate, he's probably going to be okay. So that's where we are as of today, episode number 122 of the Individual One podcast. Uh, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this uh, show via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual the Number One Pod. That's at Individual the Number One Pod. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network.